chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles there, Joshua chapter 2. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen behind me. Um, Yeah, we'll get started. Uh, Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come out to spy because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but they did not know, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will, tre- we will treat you fa- kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the, ha- for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible." As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if I tell you what we, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men start, started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us, given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Welcome to part two of our uh, Christmas series, which uh, is inspired by Jesus' family tree, as we have it in in Matthew chapter one, and in particular, uh, the stories of the five women 
uh, that we that we read of in Matthew chapter one: Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and even Mary. And last week we we wrestled with the story of Tamar, who uh, disguised herself. This is in Genesis thirty-eight. Who disguised herself as a prostitute so that she could fulfil her obligation to bear children for her dead husband. And so, but faced with the failure of her father-in-law Judah to fulfil his responsibilities as head of his family um, by giving her his youngest son to be her husband. She takes matters into her own hands. And to our surprise, she is uh, declared uh, righteous for her faithfulness. Suffice to say, it's not a very kid-friendly story if you tracked uh, last week. But unlike the story of Tamar, The story of Rahab makes for a brilliant uh, kid's story. So I've got a collection here of kids' Bibles, just just a few uh, from home. And I wonder whether which, how many you think uh, mention the story of Tamar in Genesis 38. Any any guesses? None. 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 Um, But they all mention the story of Rahab, now that's surprising to me because Rahab didn't just pose as a prostitute. She was a prostitute. But nevertheless, it is a slightly more respectable story. These uh, Bibles here mention Joshua and the, and the walls coming tumbling down, but not Rahab. And this, uh, this pile here mentions uh, both Rahab and the story of, of Joshua. Anyway, I'm going to give uh, us a Sunday school rating every week. And so this one is, is rated... Uh, pretty pretty PG, I reckon, um, unlike unlike last week. Um, and so uh, it's funny, though, isn't it? Like, I think the Rahab story has this real drama about it. Has this? Uh, there's there's betrayal, isn't there? There's there's uh, a whole bunch of intrigue that makes it for for a great great story for. Uh, kids, I've entitled it "Unexpected Victory." Every week, there's going to be something unexpected, uh, and this week it's an unexpected victory. And as always, it's important to appreciate its context. So, thank you, Georgia, for that, that kids' talk, and Zoe for reading uh, Joshua chapter two, because only a generation earlier, Moses had famously led the people out of Egypt. We, we're familiar with that story, are we not? Uh, through the Red Sea, um, and then to the very brink of the promised. Land, But even after all that God had done for them, when they saw the people who possessed it, they simply couldn't bring themselves to take it. And so they've spent 40 years uh, wandering in the wilderness as a result for their, for their unbelief. But now they're on the very brink of the promised land once again. So that, that promise that was given Abraham and Isaac and Jacob hundreds of years earlier is just now about to be fulfilled and the story that we have there in Joshua chapter 2, uh, I mentioned um, this morning, could be thought of like a, like a sandwich, okay? So there's sort of a, a piece of bread um, at, at the start and, and at, the, at, the, at the end, at the top and at the bottom. Then there are the pieces of uh, lettuce and then uh, there is the meat. Now, obviously, uh, meat is the most important part of that sandwich, is it not? Um, and so you've got the bread, which sort of holds it all together. You've got the lettuce, which is the optional extra. And then you've got the meat. And so all that to say is the meat is the most important part. And the meat in Joshua chapter 2 is when Rahab expresses her faith. But 
We won't ignore uh, the bread or the lettuce. And so we're going to set the scene a little bit here. Joshua sends uh, two spies um, to go look over the land, especially Jericho, he says. Jericho is a sort of gate to the promised land, if you will. You take Jericho and a whole whole range of, of the land opens up for you. And so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. It was a kind of place where an outsider might be able to go unnoticed, perhaps, while subtly sort of gleaning information about the city. You can imagine brothels are not places where, where names are exchanged. But you do might you might hear you know pieces of of uh, of information about uh, goings on. Apparently, however, uh, their presence didn't go unnoticed. They weren't great spies. Let's be honest. Um, news makes it to the king, and he sends a warning to Rahab that is sort of wrapped in this command. He says, "Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because." They have come to spy out the whole land. Now, at this point, Rahab had a very difficult decision to make, right? So if she turned over the two men, she would actually likely be rewarded. If, however, she hides the two men, she'd be committing treason and, if discovered, likely be be put to death. Now, we actually don't know the Rahab origin story, do we? We don't know where she came from and, and how she grew up and her family circumstances. We don't even know really the circumstances of her current employee. But clearly she wants a different life. For while she makes herself sound like a loyal subject of Jericho, she sends the men off on this wild goose chase and so sides with the Israelites against her own people. And by the way, she is perfectly aware as to, as to, as to exactly what is she doing at this point. She knows, right, that by aiding these spies, their commander and their army, she's doing so so that they will be successful in their attack against her city, her people. And then she utters these incredible words to the spies. And this is, this is the meat in the sandwich. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that, while, so, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon, Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on heaven below and, and, of, and on the earth below. So whereas the spies 40 years earlier had reported, had feared the inhabitants of the land, here a Canaanite woman reports that the inhabitants of the land now feared them. Why? Their reputation had preceded them, or rather God's reputation had preceded him. And he was planning to give this people their land. An attack was imminent. And so you can imagine in the, in the weeks leading up to this moment, uh, in the days leading up to this moment, the, the, the uh, refugees pouring in from the countryside into the city, bringing with them rumours of, of sightings of Israelites and rumours of, of war, seeking refuge behind the walls of Jericho. But while the hearts of the rest of the people were melted in fear, Rahab's heart was melted into faith. Rahab's heart was melted into faith. She came to believe this God was going to give the land to this people. Something even, by the way, the Israelites had difficulty believing. 
But she wanted in. She believed. And Rahab could not have grown up in a more pagan culture. And yet she expresses a remarkable faith in the Lord God. See, she has no other explanation for the things that she'd heard of. Perhaps while she was entertaining her clients. She had no other explanation for it. And what God has done and what he promises he will do generates within her the faith that is prepared to risk her life in order to save it and and the lives of her family. So she pleads there in verses 12 and 13, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. And they say... Our lives for your lives, right? That was the deal. So unlike Tamar, if you were with us last week, unlike Tamar, there was no pledge that Rahab can hold in keeping so that she might ensure her safety when the moment came. But the men swear that she will be safe. So long as she follows her instructions, so long as they don't tell, she doesn't tell anyone what they're doing and they will treat her kindly and faithfully when the Lord gave them the land. And then she let him down by a rope through the window, her house being built into the thick city walls. And the spies report back to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So 40 years earlier it had been, we came, we saw, we can't conquer. And now it was, we came, we saw, yeah, we can conquer, or rather God can conquer. But it is an extremely, if you're familiar with the story, it's an extremely odd battle plan um, that they have. So this is in Joshua chapter 6. The Lord gives Joshua this battle plan. He says, March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days and have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse And the army will go up and everyone straight in. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous, but it still would have been unnerving for those within the city walls, wouldn't it? Can you imagine like half a million armed men marching around your city once a day for six days? It still would have been unnerving. And can you imagine also the two spies passing the scarlet cord every day, being reminded of... Rahab's faith, and wondering what would become of her. Well, on the seventh day, they had completed their seventh circuit and they shouted at the sound of the trumpet and the mighty walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, he said, go to the prostitute's house. She's just a prostitute, she's not Rahab yet. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with with your oath to her. And so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. And Rahab and her household and her family are spared from the otherwise complete and utter destruction of the city. And she and her family actually become a part of God's family, God's people. The story of Rahab makes for a great story, doesn't it? I mean, it's no wonder that that every kid Bible out there (laughs) will mention something of it. 
I can't miss the danger and the intrigue and the betrayal of Rahab. Actually, the New Testament writers pick up on Rahab a couple of times too. So she's included in the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, with the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. She's mentioned there in chapter 11, she says, um, it said of her, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She's commended for her faith, which in Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews defines as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. My word, does that not sound like Rahab? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And when James writes of faith and works, that dynamic of faith and works. He will use Rahab as an example. He will write in James, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Rahab believed that Israel's God was, was God. And because she believed, she acted. She demonstrated, she proved Proved her faith by what she did. Once the alarm sounded, she takes the spire, she hides them, she covers for them, and she um, helps them escape. It's incredibly risky, but it was not an act of kindness, a random act of kindness. It was an act of faith. It's an act of faith based on what she knew of God. But her greatest legacy is that she becomes an ancestress of Christ. She married an Israelite man named Salmon. Some think that perhaps Salmon was one of the two spies that snuck into the city. That would be a nice twist to the whole story, wouldn't it? But the point is that from then on, there was only ever one man in her bed. And she and Salmon have children, and their children have children. And in a few generations, their great-grandson and his wife will have a little child named David. And he'll be quick-witted and decisive, an excellent leader and full of faith, just like his great-great-grandmother. And in the very first chapter of the whole New Testament, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. And from David came Christmas. From David came the Christ. You see, this victory in Joshua prepares us, points us forward to a greater victory that God set into motion that very first Christmas. It would climax in his death and resurrection and in his victory over sin, death and the devil. But it began with this unassuming birth of a child. It was an unexpected victory and an unexpected means of victory, just like the story of Rahab. But then again, isn't that how God works again and again and again and again? And so this Christmas, I want to encourage you to reflect on the story of Rahab the unexpected victory of the Israelites and ultimately the unexpected means of victory that God used to defeat sin and death and the devil. 
And I want you to remember this. That we are all Rahab. All all were Rahab. We were all just as lost. And yet he has called us out of the darkness and into the light. We're all far away. And yet he has brought us near by the blood of Christ. And it is all by grace. I've been asking myself this week, why the spies? Why the spies in this story? Why did Joshua send the spies into Jericho in the first place? I mean, what did the mission actually accomplish? The only thing they discovered was that the people were scared to death of them. But it's not as if they found some weakness in the city's walls that they were going to exploit, was it? Now, God was going to bring those walls down whether he sent the spies in or not. So why the spies? Well, for Joshua, it might have been prudence. But for God, this is all providence. God set the whole thing up to save Rahab and her family. This is one of the great salvation stories of the Old Testament. Initially, everything is stacked against Rahab. She lives in a pagan, she lives as a pagan in a, in a thoroughly pagan city. And Rahab wasn't the most upstanding, most impressive, most religious or most important person. Far from it. In fact, whenever the Bible refers to Rahab, it's Rahab the prostitute. It doesn't do so to demean her or to humiliate her. It does so to cast in bold relief the grace of God that saves her. And it is even more obvious in the light of the judgment that God brought upon Jericho. That was, it is an act of judgment. And by the way, the overthrowing of Jericho is, is a picture of what God will do in the future through Christ to every person, to every people who hear of Christ, but do not respond in faith. Now, most of us here on a Sunday evening, we will have heard, we, we will have grown up hearing perhaps all of this, all of what this God has done and what He promises He will do. And likewise, like Rahab, we have professed our faith in Him. He has become our God, we his people. But we still live here. We still live in this world like Rahab. We still live in Jericho. We still live in the moment between our confessing our faith in him and him returning to save us. There's one difference, however, is that we're not called to be silent like Rahab was. Rahab was called to be silent don't tell anyone what we're doing. We're actually not called to be silent. Reminds me of when in uh, Acts 18, Jesus is encouraging Paul to stay in Corinth. And he says, this is Jesus himself to Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city, he says. And we rightly trust that the same is true today. We trust that Jesus would say, 
keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I have many people on Mount Tambourine. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I've got many people in Yarra Bilba. Our vision under God is to see the gospel overflow in our lives and at TMPC to reach the mountain and our region as it cascades down to our surrounds by making more disciples and more mature disciples who know and love Jesus as their hope and treasure. And so we are praying and planning that over the next three years, each one of us has a family member, friend or colleague become a Christian. And the story of Rahab should encourage us to pray and to plan along those lines, shouldn't it? There is no place or person that is impenetrable for the grace of God. It's sovereign, it's searching, and it is sufficient. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and from the way which from the very beginning you have sought to include everyone and you, your grace sought out, in this case, Rahab and her family and saved them. Father, we thank you for her faith and her faith and deeds, that is the way in which she put her faith into action. And I, Father, I pray that this Christmas we will reflect upon the unexpected victory that we find in Joshua 2 and the unexpected victory and means of victory that Christ achieved in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. That was put into motion that very first Christmas with his birth. And Father, I pray that we might be encouraged this Christmas of this story and of your grace that has found us too and is sufficient for us too. And we pray that it might go forth on this mountain and our surrounds and that many people might be drawn to you because of what you have done and what you promise you will do. So I pray that we might not be silent but keep on speaking for we trust that you have many people in southeast Queensland, many people at the foothills of the mountains, many people on the mountain itself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.